Wow, good morning. Okay. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Billy Gifford. I am the executive pastor on staff, and I do also share that same excitement that Christian just mentioned. I am very excited for what God is doing in. You know, if you don't know it, I have three children, and the oldest is five. And so it's five, three and a half, and then, wow, uh, less than that, one and a half, somewhere in there. <laughs> and so summertime for me, like my head is down. I'm just, there is no, you know, parents, you know, young, young kids. And so fall just is here, and I'm like, oh, students are back. Here we go. And then it actually reminded me, oh, I'm excited for the fall because it re- y'all, students, reminded me that there's football season coming up. And I know it's, you know, we got a couple weeks, but I am like, oh, yes, that's right. Yes, I love the fall and football. Um, but uh, just a, a word to you students, we're, y'all are jumping right in to um, just what God has been doing over the summer. So if you've been gone, y- y- there's a moving vehicle going on right now. There's momentum. God is doing things in this church body and in this house. And we're just going to continue on with what's been happening. And, you know, <clears throat> I'll share a little bit more about my story in a, in a minute, but you know, I, I graduated 2012, a hey, whoop. Okay, thank you. Roy, you were, no, okay. <laughs> so, uh, I think, yeah. Uh, it's undisputed, the greatest graduation class, objectively. And I say that honestly, because we get the 12 on the Aggie ring, okay? Ooh, you, no one can argue with that, okay? <laughs> I'm not wearing it. I actually haven't worn it in like years, but uh, I know, I know, I know. I should not have confessed that on the first Sunday. Students are back. They would have noticed, though. They would have thought I went somewhere else. But no, I graduated in mechanical engineering. Takes A&M. Here we go. Well, we're starting a new series uh, today, and I want to give you a little bit of the backstory of why we're choosing this series. The series is called Being Filled with the Holy Spirit. Being Filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've been praying about, God, what are you doing in this church? What do we need to focus on? There's a, I mean, there's a lot in this book, if you haven't read it. There's a lot we could focus on. And we sense very strongly God leading us into the season of just diving deep into discipleship and what it means to really make disciples. But we also felt strongly impressed before we do that, we need to have the power of God in order to accomplish that. And so we said, we need to start off by talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so today we're talking about receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Right, Some, I, this is like one of those issues where it's like, huh? Or like, yeah. Or like, no, it's, it's, it's all over the place. But we're going to dive into it today. On, and uh, yeah, we're trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I want to start off from the book of Acts in chapter one. You can turn with me. I'll be flipping through a bunch. Um, they'll also be on, the scriptures will also be on the screen as well. But Acts chapter one, starting in verse four. This is Jesus. He says, it says this, gathering them together, his disciples, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of it from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. All right, so right here we see at the very kickoff to the book of Acts, Jesus is mentioning something about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And I would imagine anyone who's heard that phrase before has asked that question before. 
what is that exactly? <clears throat> and I want to start off by pointing out that the power of the Holy Spirit is not isolated to the New Testament. Obviously, we talk about it a lot, and if you read through it, there's a lot of mentions of the Holy Spirit, but he is very much alive and active in the Old Testament. He was there from the beginning. If you remember Genesis chapter one, he was, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. But he would also come upon people in moments for, for, for God to be revealed. So for example, there's a couple examples. Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and because of that, he had power to like tear apart lions with his bare hands and to like defeat Philistine armies with the, junk, the, the jawbone of a donkey. Gideon, it said the, the spirit of God clothed Gideon for the task that he had ahead. Even King Saul, who, you know, he didn't end well, but he started really well. It says that he was anointed and the spirit of God came upon him and he was transformed into another man. He began to prophesy. So we see the Holy Spirit, it was very active in the Old Testament from the beginning until the New Testament. So what, what is so new about this baptism? Why was this such a significant thing or is it such, such a significant thing? What is so special and unique about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, it gets unique when we get to the New Testament. And in the book of John, chapter one, God, uh, John reveals that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was the identifying mark which God has spoken to him to identify who the Messiah was. Let me read it real quick in, in John 1, verse 32. John testified saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him, Jesus. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the son of God. You notice it wasn't, God didn't tell John the Baptist, hey, whoever you see, is, that is the nicest guy. That's the son of God. He didn't say, you know, whoever preaches harshly against the traditions of the Pharisee, that's the Messiah. He said, it's the, the one whom you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining. That's the guy. You see the importance there? But even more than that, he doesn't just, if you notice, he didn't describe Jesus as the Messiah or the forgiver of sins or the restorer of all things or the redeemer of mankind. There were so many things he could have said, but he said, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Why didn't he say, this is the one who forgives sins? That's important, right? Why didn't he say, this is the one who makes all things new? Of course, all these are true, but I, I just want you to recognize the emphasis that God had on this idea of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was the thing to look out for, one of the most important ministries of Jesus. But the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it really is this, that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend on someone and uh, empower them for a moment, for an instance, but then would depart. And so it, it would be like a sprinkling a little bit of water here. It's like, okay, that was nice. It was helpful. In the New Testament, the difference is that Jesus baptizes us, which means immerses us in the Holy Spirit. We are now immersed, meaning the Holy Spirit now dwells with us and is within us and all around us. That's quite different than a little sprinkling. And so in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come upon people for a moment and, you know, like Samson, he could do all these miracles and mighty feats but then he was still defeated by lust. Or 
the Holy Spirit could come upon the prophet Elijah and he could stand up against 850 prophets of Baal and, and have them run in. But then the very next day, he would be hiding and falling into a depression because he was threatened by Jezebel. Or the Holy Spirit could come upon King Saul, like I mentioned, and he could prophesy and be transformed into another man, but then only later to have the Holy Spirit depart and he was actually influenced by an evil spirit. There was no dwelling and remaining that happened in the Old Testament. And then Jesus came along and that's when things changed. And that's where we pick it up and that's where we see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining. See, up until this point, Jesus had done no miracles. There's no record of anything like that. He hadn't preached any sermons. I have no doubt that he lived a holy life, that he blessed many people. You know, he, by the time he's 30, he probably had a little carpenter shop. He's probably blessing many people that come to him. If, if there was a crack in a chair he made, he probably gave it at a discount, even if no one noticed it. He, he would probably bless widows who couldn't afford it. You know, I, I don't imagine Jesus was making a lot of money because he was just doing what he could to honor the Father and bless people. But it was when the Holy Spirit descended and remained upon him that inaugurated his ministry to the world. And it's important to see this, that Jesus needed the empowerment of the Spirit. The Son of God waited for the empowerment of the Spirit. So how much more should we? How much more? In fact, this is actually his, what we read in the book of Acts, his last message to his disciples before ascending to heaven. Many people think this last message was go and make disciples. You know, we have that on the wall. We love that, of course. And it was close. That was closely connected to his last message, but it was go and make disciples. But before you go, wait, wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because when you receive him, you will then have power to be my witnesses. We need that power. So it's one of the first things mentioned about Jesus, actually in all four of the gospels, this is mentioned. And it's the last message he gives his disciples to wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you see the importance of this? Whether we understand it or not yet, I hope we can at least see this, this matters to God. Let's, let's maybe take a moment to dive in a little deeper and understand this. And so <clears throat> in all four of the gospels in the book of Acts, this baptism is mentioned. And from that point on, the apostles included the baptism in the Holy Spirit within their gospel message. It was part of the gospel message. In certain maybe charismatic circles, it has been referred to as like a second blessing. Maybe if you're older, you've heard that phrase. But I wanna say that is incorrect. It is not a second blessing. It is part of the first blessing. There's one blessing. Jesus paid it all on the cross. And, and, and from that point, he's given us everything. It's not a second blessing. And let me show you to, show you to you. This was, this was part of the gospel they preached. Let me start in the book of Acts again in chapter two, verse 38. In this moment, Peter had just preached uh, to the Jews that Jesus was the son of God and they were cut to the core. The, those listening, the Pentecost just happened and they respond and say, what, what, what must we do to be saved? What do we do? Faith, they had believed that this Jesus Peter was preaching was truly the son of God. They believed. And this is Peter's response in verse 38. He says, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God 
will call to himself. Okay, what I want you to notice in this is the main elements that Peter proclaimed in this message. We see that faith was there when he had preached Jesus that it was born in their hearts. Then he says, repent. There must be repentance in our lives. Then he says, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptism. And then he says what? Receive the Holy Spirit. There's four elements there. And I, I like to refer to those, those four elements as like the cylinders of the Christian engine. That if you're firing on all four cylinders, you have power in your life. But the problem is that most of us start off with really just one, maybe two, at best three of these things. And I know that was true of me and I know that's true of many people. That, oh, I have faith, but I didn't really repent for my sins and I definitely wasn't water baptized and I don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, so I don't know what that is. And we don't start off the Christian life with the power we need. But in the book of Acts, that is how they started off. There was no, there was no other option. This is the message that they gave. Let me show it a little more in the book of Acts and see how, how it played out. In Acts chapter eight, Philip goes to Samaria to proclaim Christ. And verse 13 <clears throat> says this, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Let me slow down and read that again. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Okay, so here we're reading, and we see that many believed. There's faith. They believed the preaching of the good news that Philip brought in the name of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, Philip baptized them, which was the right thing to do. Philip would not baptize someone who was not born again. But we read later that they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. We go to verse 14, it says this. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So <laughs> I want you to notice the two receptions that were in that verse. It said they had received the word of God, which means they believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. But then it says they needed the apostles to go down there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we have people who are born again. They're baptized in water. They, but they had yet to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which means, you know, if, if they died, would they have gone to heaven? Sure, Absolutely. Just like the thief on the cross, he didn't receive water baptism or spirit baptism. But that's not the question we're asking. That's not, the que that's not even the issue that the apostles ever addressed. The issue is how do you live an effective life on earth? It's not about, well, how do I get to heaven? That, that type of gospel preaching has to die, honestly. That is not in the scriptures. It is how do you overcome sin? How do you live a life of victory? How do you begin eternal life right here, right now? You know, last week we just finished the series, Character of God, and Patrick wrapped up knowing God. It was the message. Eternal life is to know God, which means it starts right now. It's how can we be an effective witness for Christ right now? And if that's the question, then yeah, you do need baptisms. If it's just getting to heaven, then maybe you don't need either baptisms, okay? But that's not the question we're addressing. So I want to clarify that. 
Let me flip over to Acts chapter 10. A couple more instances. In verse 44, get there. This is Peter at Cornelius' house. While Peter was still speaking, and here he's, he's preaching about forgiveness of sins to, to Cornelius' house. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So again, here we see it again. Faith was born in their heart. They believed in that moment. I believe they were born again. And within a few moments, a few seconds maybe, they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, recognizing that, says, maybe we should baptize him in water as well. And I think that happened, I think the order was, that was reversed intentionally by God, because I think at that point, Peter was still reluctant to, to baptize Gentiles. That was a whole new world to them. That was like very fresh data. He probably was like, wait, sh- are we supposed to do this? And God confirmed it. He's like, here, I've also given them the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. Starting in verse one. This is Paul in Ephesus. Here we go. Says this, it happened that while, uh, Apollos, yeah. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into, the, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were all about 12 men. Oop, 12 men. <laughs> Real quick, what's the graduating class, freshman? Is it 2027? 20, okay, I could have done the math, actually. I just realized. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm focused. But Well, in Acts 19, here's a, there's a, it's pretty simple. I like, I, I'm trying to read it slowly because I think you can see it without me even unpacking it. But it's this. A couple things I want, to notice, want you to notice. Paul is speaking to believers. He's, he calls them disciples. And he was curious if they had received the Holy Spirit at the same time they had put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he also expected them to know the answer to that question. It's like, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because at that point they had John's baptism, which he even said, that's the, that's the repentance part. So he's like, you, had, you need to be baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They do that. Then he lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit and they begin to prophesy and speak in tongues. So what, what is the, the point I'm trying to make with these, these references from the book of Acts? It's quite simple. It's that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is part of the gospel message. And it is something that we are to receive. We are, we are to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the, uh, the next question, which is, well, okay, if that is true, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
If it is so vital to the Christian life, I, I want that. How do I get that? And the first thing I want to mention is that it is not automatic. It is not automatic. And maybe after reading some of these passages, it was more clear to you, but it has been taught, at least in more uh, traditional evangelical doctrine, that as, one, as, so, as soon as someone believes in Jesus, that they've also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit automatically, even unconsciously. It's like, oh yeah, it's all one. And I wanna say that's just poor Bible teaching. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we see this, you know, the people of Samaria believed without receiving the Holy Spirit. When Paul asked the Ephesians, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He wouldn't even have to ask the question if that was the case. Why would he ask the question? If it was automatic, it was unconscious, there's no question. We can scratch that verse out of the Bible, but that's, we don't do that. We notice that it is not automatic. And if it's not automatic, that also means it's not passive. It's not a pass. It, it is an active thing. The verb receiving in the Bible is very active. We, there's something we, ha- there's a part we play in that. And it, the reason it's important to know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not um, automatic uh, or that it's, you know, there's nothing we can do is that if we believe that we already have it or if we believe it's out of our hands, passive, then we won't ask for it. You're not gonna ask for something you already have. I'm not gonna ask for a microphone right now. Jonathan, can I get a microphone? <laughs> no, I got one. <laughs> That's the problem. We need to know the difference. And so, you know, the New Testament teaches that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus and to receive the Holy Spirit. What has happened is that those two have been smashed into one, rolled into one, and, we, we, and this new phrase popped out that is not, in the, not that biblical. It's called receive Jesus. Receive Jesus. There's one mention of that in the book of John, and it's not actually referring to post-Pentecost or post-resurrection. And from that point on, you never hear any of the apostles, any of the epistles saying, receive Jesus. They do say, believe in Jesus. Why? Because they want to make a distinction. Have faith in Christ. Now also, receive the Holy Spirit. We are to receive the Spirit of God, having put our faith in the Son of God. And that gives us the best possible start to the Christian life. So how do I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? I'm gonna try to simplify it down to really just Two things, very simple. The first one is faith. The first one is faith. I'm gonna go back to Acts chapter two, verse 38. I read it earlier, I'm gonna read it again. It said, Peter said to them, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two things there, forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. So let me ask, how do you receive forgiveness of sins? Is it because you prayed and fasted for weeks? Is it through your good works? No, it's because you have faith. It's through faith you receive forgiveness of sins. And you receive the Holy Spirit on the exact same basis as you receive the forgiveness of sins. That's through faith. In other words, if you're qualified to receive the forgiveness of sins, you're qualified to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't, it's either because you were not taught, you didn't know, 
And so now you know and the truth can set you free. Or for some reason you thought you had to earn it. You had to work for it. You just, therefore, you didn't actually have enough faith just simply to receive the gift. Paul says this to the Galatians in chapter three, verse two. It's a rhetorical question. He's dealing with uh, a resurgence of the, the works-based uh, Jewish religion that's going on in Galatia. And he says this, this is one thing I wanna find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's hard to get more clear than that. You receive the spirit because you have faith. It is faith. It's the same. There are no additional qualifications you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just like forgiveness of sins. Let me share an illustration. I've, I've shared this before, I think, but <clears throat> a while back, I bought my wife some new AirPods. Yeah, it was a while back. Yeah, it was awesome. Huge <laughs> investment, I guess. Uh, but... Uh, imagine I'm, I purchased some AirPods online, okay? And I get this email receipt and I send it to my wife, Cheryl. And I'm gonna say, hey babe, I got you some new AirPods. Swing by the Apple store after work, pick them up. They're all yours, okay? So she gets the receipt, she goes in to the Apple store, says, hey, I'm here to pick up my AirPods. Pros, AirPod Pros. And yeah. <laughs> and let's say they give her one. Let's say they give her the left one, okay? So let's say she's just, too many kids in the world, so she doesn't really, she's like, her world is like, I don't know, great, sounds fine. So she takes one and, and walks out. Question, did she receive a gift? Yes. Did she receive the fullness of that gift? No. Why? I'm trying to be very simple. There's really only two reasons why she would not have received it. Yeah, that's right. The first reason why, she didn't know. She didn't know there was one. I mean, she can hear. She's like, oh, wow, I'm connected to my phone. I can listen to music and podcasts. This is amazing. I mean, it's much better than nothing, right? So that's it. She's like, oh, this is a great experience. The left one, no complaints. But then she may see some other people walking around with like two in and they're like in it. And then it's like, you know, uh, what's that mode where you go like, yeah, noise cancellation. You're like, you're just in it. She's like, wow, how did they, how did that happen? How did they get that? And the, other, so this, the second reason she would not have received it is because she maybe thought it wasn't paid for. Maybe she didn't know it was paid for. So she sees these people rocking out and rocking out, wow, jamming out. What's the, what's the Gen Z slang for that? Slapping out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're jamming out to these music. She's like, man, they must have saved up a lot of money to buy another one. They must have really worked hard. And they were diligent to save, and then they went back in and purchased another one. That is just not true. The answer is simple. Go back to the receipt. Say, wait a sec. I get two, the left and the right. You show it to the guy, he gives you your second one, and boom, problem solved. We have to go back to the receipt, which is, yes, it is the word of God, showing us what has been paid for. But if you don't know it's there, you're obviously not gonna go in and say, hey, I would like my other AirPod. And so I wanna tell you, there is another AirPod. I'm gonna get off the AirPod illustration in a second. (laughs) There is more to the Christian life. And the answer is in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's been paid for. So that's the first requirement, is faith. The second requirement is thirst and hunger. 
a thirst for it. In John chapter seven, this is Jesus speaking directly about the Holy Spirit. In verse 37, he says this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. If anyone is thirsty, if, I, I, I wanna highlight that. If you're thirsty. But what does thirst mean? It means you have a sense of need. Obviously in a thirst, it's like a sense of need for water. But thirst means you sense your need, you sense your lack. I mean, this idea of thirst also applies to forgiveness of sins because you can't preach about Jesus forgiving someone's sins if that someone doesn't believe they need to be forgiven of sin. They're not thirsty for forgiveness. They're, they have no problem with their guilt. But the moment they feel that, that sense of need that, oh, I've, I have sinned against the holy God. I am in need of forgiveness. Guess what? In that moment, they can receive forgiveness of sins. And in the same way, if we don't sense our need for the power of God in our lives, if we don't realize that we have nothing without him, then we're probably not gonna receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's no sense of need. There's no sense of, of lack. We feel that our human capabilities are enough. We got it. We're not thirsty. And if a, sat, a lack of sense of need is why people don't get forgiveness of sins and a lack of sense of need is why people are not, are not immersed in the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this, how much would you pay for a bottle of water? Don't actually raise your hand on this, but just think about it. $1, okay, probably. $2, <laughs> with inflation, okay, I get it. $3, $5, we're pushing it now, right? $100, probably not. $1,000, absolutely, like that's a joke at that point. It's probably a joke at $5. But the, here's the reason why that's a that, that joke at that point. It's because we think, well, I'll just go somewhere else and get it. I, I can get it elsewhere. I'll go home and drink from the tap. I'm not paying five bucks for a bottle of water. Because we have access to something else, that's why it's not worth our money. But what would happen if you're in the desert, wandering around for many days with no food, no water? And you finally get to this place where there's water, but the guy's like, I'm gonna charge you for this little bottle. How much are you gonna pay for it then? It doesn't, you're like, take everything. Here's 10,000, here's my credit card, just swipe it as many times as you want, I don't care. Because I have a sense of need. I know that I am dying and without that water, what good is money? What good is money without life? God in his grace has put many of us in these circumstances and positions of need so that he could help us get a proper view of what we need so that we might cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we think it's like the devil, <laughs> but no, it's God. He's leading us out there into the wilderness to be tested, to, to show us our needs so that we can return in the power of the Spirit, just like Jesus did. We need that, that cry that says, God, I need life. I need it. I need victory over this sin. 
I need power to witness to my coworkers. I need power to pray for my family. I need it. I, I'm sick and tired of being defeated by anxiety or depression or whatever it is. Saying, God, I, I need to be an overcomer. I need this, Lord. And that's, that's the sign of thirst. That is the sign. And you, you, you know you're really thirsty when you start asking for it. <laughs> when you realize, I don't have it, I should go get it, and I'm not gonna stop until I do. You know, part of, the, part of thirsting for God is, is asking. Let me read from Luke chapter 11, starting in verse nine. He says this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if, he is, or if he asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? So the beautiful, I mean, you can read it right there. The beautiful truth in this is that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God will give it. And he says, how much more? We see an eagerness in God. Here's another definition of faith. That if you believe God is more eager to give than I am eager to receive. He is way more eager to give us the Holy Spirit than we even can comprehend to ask. He's eager. But again, that last phrase, to those who ask. Again, not passive. Active. Receiving is active. You have to ask. Just like forgiveness of sins. I use that because I think we understand that a little bit better in the Christian world. We have to ask. We have to press in. We have to, in, that, in the original language that ask, seek, and knock, it, it actually means go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking. It, it is, the picture is not where you're thirsty, you come to the door and you're a little knock and you're saying, excuse me, if you, if you could, I'm kind of thirsty, would appreciate some water. Okay, nothing, I didn't hear anything, I'm walking away. And you're saying, hey, I asked. Like that is not the biblical picture of asking. He wants us to be pounding on that door. He wants us to pound on that door because he's eager to give it to us. Now, when I came to College Station, you know, I, <clears throat> I had ended my senior year of, of high school pretty uh, hungry for more of God. I didn't have the right lingo for it, the language, but I, do, I, I knew I was excited to come to college because I was gonna start fresh and get plugged into the, all these Christian things so that I could have more of God and fill that need because this, this sense of more of God was building in my life. And so when I came to college and got plugged into a and I got involved with all the Christian things I could possibly do. I mean, organizations, uh, churches, I was serving, I was going to breakaway, I was doing everything I could think of. I was like, hey, I'm checking all the boxes because I want more of God and then some. And I was trying to make God the center of my life. But deep down in my heart, I knew something was off. I mean, it, it was like I was trying to play a game, but I'm on the sidelines. That's maybe the way it felt like. I was like, man, I'm like, I'm wanting to get in, but I'm like, I don't actually feel like I'm in it. And I can't really put my finger on it. And God had begun to put this burden on my heart for the lost and broken world around me. 
And I did what I could to relieve that burden. I would go and try to share the gospel. I would try to spend time with Jesus. I would try to pray. And I found out pretty quickly, I lacked a lot of the power. I lacked the confidence. I lacked the boldness to share the gospel. I lacked, I just lacked. And so summer going into my junior year, I had gotten to this point of such desperation for more of God that I was willing to almost do anything. I was just so hungry for God and I didn't have the words for it. And I was working at a Christian sports camp at the time. And uh, one night I I go to bed and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, God, I'm like, it's do or die now. I gotta have more of you. I don't even know what that looks like. I just need more of you, God. And I decided the next morning I was gonna fast, okay? And so, and just to bring you in on my story a little bit, I had no, fasting was not part of my Christian vernacular. I kid you not, I thought fasting was like for Muslims, Buddhists, or like some Eastern religion. I thought it was like the weirdo thing. And I was like, but that's like the the end result for the hunger was like, I will give up everything, even food and water. Because again, I... I didn't have friends who did it. I had never done it. I didn't know what it was. I don't recommend this, but it was like near the end of summer in Texas. It was like really hot. I'm outside 90% of the time. I was actually working the ropes course. So I'm like extra close to the sun. Uh, And I gave up food and water for that day, which was not smart, you know? I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I'm okay. I'm obviously still alive. But I just got to this point of desperation saying I got... Oops. So not long after that, so not long after that day, I um, I'm paired up with this family, some folks who who were older, and they could just see that God was moving in my life, and so they set me aside one night and and they just asked me this question point blank because they see God's moving, and they said, "Have you been?" baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I, my response was very similar to the Ephesians, if not exact. I was like, I had not known that there was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so we spent the next 30 minutes just opening up the word of God and just walking through it very much like I just did with you guys. And, and I just knew that was it. I was, this is what was missing. And I, that night they laid hands on me and they prayed that I might receive the Holy Spirit. And I opened up my heart to receive the Holy Spirit. And Everything changed. Everything changed. Everything. My desires changed. I mean, I hadn't been water baptized. In that moment, I was like, I need to be baptized. We hopped the fence. And it was midnight. It was almost midnight. It's like, I need to be water baptized right now. Got baptized. And my life changed. A fire was lit within me. And the proof was in the, it, it, like, the very next week I'm on campus. And I, I had this, new passion to see the kingdom of God established on this earth. It was like color all of a sudden. If it was black and white, now I'm in color. And now it was like, I am a part of this. And I want to see Christ build his church here at Texas A&M, here in Bryan College Station. And so I would be that guy. I mean, this is, I would chase people on campus who were walking with a limp like a mile away. I'm like trying to catch them because I'm like, I'm going to pray for you and you're going to get healed and you're going to get delivered and it's going to be awesome. And I'm like scheduling uh, office hours with my professors and TAs, you know, just to share the gospel with them and try to slide it in, you know? <laughs> They're talking about like thermodynamics and heat transfer. And I'm like, hey, speaking of heat transfer, um, 
there's been some fire that's been transferred to my heart, you know, like, <laughs> I, I would actually try to use these very poor segues. I really did. I was young, okay? <laughs> but my point is this, things changed. Everything changed. And it was, and it stemmed from a faith and a hunger and a thirst for more of God. And that's kind of where, I mean, that's the question I posed to you. When was the last time you hungered for God and thirsted for God like that? When was the last time you woke up in the middle of the night just to seek God in prayer because you have nowhere else to turn? Or do you, I mean, there's still probably places you have to turn and I'm sorry that's the case. Let me ask you this. If, if you lost some money, I'm trying to wrap it up here. If you lost some money, how hard would you search for it? And obviously the answer depends on, well, it depends on how much money. <laughs> if you lose a dime, you know, it's like, okay. You look around for about four seconds and you're like, eh, it's a dime. I'm moving on with my life. If you lose like a couple stacks of $100 bills, listen, you're giving it more than four seconds. You're probably flipping every thing in your house. You're turning over every leaf. You're looking for that thing and you won't stop until you do. And it bothers you. You go to sleep thinking about it. You wake up thinking about it. But why? Because you know the value that that would have for your life. You recognize it. So you search for it and you don't stop searching for it until you find. And what I have found that is that how hard we search for something is the proof of the value we give it. Of, of the, its value to us. If we're, at, I mean, again, if, if, if he says, ask, seek, and knock, go on, knock, just, just keep knocking. And if it's valuable to us, we will. Let's get the band to come on up. I'll try to land the plane here. It's not complicated, actually. Like if we were to erase what we knew about Christianity, if we just opened up this Bible and started reading, we would see the Christian life begins with putting our faith in Christ, with re repenting from our sins, turning away from that, with being water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and with receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses to a lost world. And as we end, I, I, I wanna spend just a minute addressing the signs or the confirmations of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's been a point of confusion as this, this whole topic has, I'm sure. But I hope to present a biblically balanced view and that is, you know, depending on the circle you grew up in, if you grew up in more charismatic circles, more Pentecostal circles, it's been said the sign of the Holy Spirit is typically uh, the gifts of the Spirit or more in particular speaking in tongues. And if you grew up more in the evangelical circles, it was more about the fruit of the Spirit. It's like, hey, you know you've received the Holy Spirit when you're more kind and patient and, and maybe you, have, you're, you can serve better in the church just through giving or hospitality or whatever. <clears throat> and I think it's best summed up actually in this exercise of, if I go back to the book of Acts chapter one, and if I asked the disciples, this is before the day of Pentecost, if I said, hey, Jesus said he was gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And if I said to Peter, hey, how, do you, how will you know? He, he wouldn't say either of those things. He didn't know what tongues was at that time. But what would he say? He would think back and say, 
What did Jesus say? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. And I think that's the word that sums it up. There's a power that is, that is, is a fire that's ignited in your heart. There's power to now operate in the gifts of the Spirit and to now actually live out the fruit of the Spirit. It is, of course, both. But I'll say this though as well. The Bible does teach that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when the heart is full of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes there is an overflow that comes out. And I just wanna say this just to put you at ease that I don't want you to feel surprised that there's this like pressure building up, this bubbling that building up. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this other than to let it out and praise God. I, you know, when you're, when you're really happy, you will laugh. It comes out of your mouth. If you're scared and I like scare you, you will scream because it comes out of your mouth. It's the overflow valve. And so in a moment, we're gonna ask Jesus to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're gonna ask him to do that. And I just wanna, again, it just puts you at ease and just say, hey, allow him to overflow within you and come out in spontaneous praise. It may look like tongues. It may look like prophecy. It may look like exalting God, which is very common. Whereas that's what happened with me. It was this, I can't hold it in. I just have to bless the Lord, the King of the nations, the ruler of the world. And I just started exalting God like I've never done before. Uninhibited, just free. Let's go ahead and stand. I wanna invite some life group leaders up to the front, just to the left and right. And we're just gonna have the prayer team up here for those who, you know, there's maybe two groups of people in this room tonight. There's those who have never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if that's you and you're, and you're convinced, and if you're not convinced, I challenge you to go to the word and ask God. Maybe you're not convinced in this moment, and that's fine, but don't let it sit. Go home and take it to the Lord. But if you're saying, I've, that's not me. I, I mean, I have not been filled with the Holy Spirit like this before and I want that. Then I do, I, I am inviting you in a second just to come up here to, to any of these people and ask them to pray with you. They'll lay hands on you and you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before, ask God to fill you up again. This, we're actually gonna talk more about this next week. We're continuing this, but... You know, being baptized happens once, but being filled happens repeatedly. We see this in the New Testament. They're filled multiple times. And so many of us, that desperation point is, Lord, I need to be filled up again. I thought the answer to my problem was that person or that thing or that circumstance. The answer to your problem is you need to receive. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. And so I'm gonna pray. And just as I pray and when I'm wrapped up, just feel free to sneak on up here. Open up your hearts. Allow Jesus to lay his hands on you and baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He will do that this morning. Father, come and have your way. We are hungry for you. We are thirsty for you. We have nothing without you. We are just a branch. We can produce no fruit on our own, but you are the vine. You are the source of life. And we ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you baptize us in your Holy Spirit and fire? Would you give us power to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, God? We can't do it without you, Lord.
And we just acknowledge our need right now. And like you've said, if anyone is thirsty, come and drink. Lord, we come to you and drink right now, God. And if we came and drank 10 years ago and we haven't really drank much since then, we just say, Lord, we repent. We come again to you and say, Lord, give us that, that river of living water. We drink of you right now in this moment, Father. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.